0: I'm Megan J. Robinson, and this is Creative Proofing, a space to think, feel, and design out loud. Every week I explore the intersection of creativity, spirituality, and productivity, and what that looks like for each of us. In each episode of Creative Proofing, I'll dig into various questions, ideas, and topics by sharing what other thinkers, feelers, and doers have said, followed by my take, and then what it do for us going forward. Stick around to find out more. Hmm? Welcome to your head. First, it's helpful to understand that we have three centers of intelligence our head, our heart, and our body. And we tend to draw from or rely on one of those centers more than the others. Our greatest potential for growth lies in the integration of all three centers we engage each intelligence so that they work together in concert, rather than atrophying from lack of use. As we recognize the primary center from which we understand, respond to, and interact with our world, we also recognize that we often ignore or distort the other centers of intelligence available to us. Perhaps without realizing it, at some point, We told ourselves that something about those other types of knowing was less trustworthy, useful, or even valuable. And so, over time, we focused more intently on our dominant center, sort of like weightlifting only on one side of the body while leaving the other side alone. It looks kind of weird, right? This week, we're focusing on the head center. We are used to applying, or at least encouraged to apply, logic, common sense, and deliberation to many areas of our lives. We want to make good, competent, beneficial decisions, or at the very least, decisions that cause a minimal amount of harm to ourselves and others. In a time when data and information lives in the palm of our hand, the difficulty comes in filtering the myriad options, desires, expectations, and boundaries surrounding potential decisions. How do we make the best decisions possible? How do we make wise choices? We'll take a look at our head centers, intellectual intelligence, IQ, through the lens of the Enneagram. But rather than delve into the specific types, we'll just go over some general observations that connect the types within each center. We'll also take a quick look at wisdom, which has generally been associated with the head, and what that means for knowing ourselves, others, and our worlds. Note. I work from within the Christian tradition, and understand the divine as the trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That said, I know we all have different ways of understanding the divine, so if you wish to insert something else when I use that phrase, please feel free to do so. Understanding ourselves and others through the Enneagram seems to work well either way. Here's what others say. Those who lead from the head center spend a lot of time thinking, as you might expect. They trust facts and their own brain power most. These folks draw from their cognitive capacities to assess and analyze the world around them for threats to their well-being, safety, or stability, leading to a propensity to forecast or, or plan around of potentialities to ensure their self-preservation. As Chestnut notes, those in this center have a central preoccupation with safety and manifest that through various expressions of fear. This leads them to stay, quote-unquote, in their heads more often than not, providing dispassionate analysis of interior responses and external circumstances through logical reasoning. They engage the world through observation, mental activity, and planning ahead, and sometimes see EQ, or emotional intelligence folks, as somewhat trivial, and GQ, or gut intelligence folks, as too reactive, As Christopher Wirtz notes, this emphasis on collecting knowledge is a way to place barriers between themselves and emotional distress. By searching for solutions elsewhere, those who lead from their head hope to avoid navigating the complexities of their inner emotional landscape. Avoiding emotions too often can lead to pain and frustration, though, and it makes it difficult for them to recognize emotions in others. Those in the head center, may be more prone than most to succumbing to analysis paralysis, always searching for the next, best, or most correct piece of data to clinch the decision and create the momentum they need. The great temptation for head center folks lies in the over-reliance on their mental abilities and ignoring, distrusting, or outright rejecting knowledge from their other two centers but what makes them sometimes hard to connect with via their emotions, also makes those who lead from the heart center wonderful at gathering, analyzing, and computing information into plans, strategies, and action. Their ability to collate and synthesize data and think through problems to provide necessary information for the success of a project or event, ensures wise choices, careful deliberation, and common benefits for everyone if creativity is a way of approaching the world and coming up with new surprising valuable combinations of ideas our head center friends with their ability to take in information from a wide variety of sources help us approach the world with curiosity and wonder drew moser suggests that in making decisions what we often lack is proper understanding application and purpose. Consider this. Information is purely content. Knowledge is content understood. Wisdom is understanding applied for what truly matters. To listen to our heads, whether it's our primary center or not, enables us to test various inputs against reality, each other, and our own desires to filter the good from the not so great. Frequently, we resort to making expedient, pragmatic, or even ill advised choices, perhaps because we didn't trust our own instincts, knowledge, or skills. To draw from our head center enables us to gain some distance on unconscious motivations, or even slow our roll before rushing to act. To lead with wisdom recognizes that some things actually do require a little more time while also checking in with our hearts and hands to discern how our actions and our connections shape our decisions and our world. Welcome to your head. Here's what I say. If my heart center is an overworked muscle, ha! My head center gets the second-best workout. Thoughts and emotions swirl, cycle, and often reinforce one another without pause, leading me to ponder the old chicken-and-egg question, which comes first? Regardless of the answer, I've learned to appreciate my capacity for large amounts of input, recognizing that it's a symptom of my curiosity about the world. On a personal note, I've often struggled with depression throughout my life, And one of the things I've learned about those ebbs and flows is that for me, curiosity is a sign of health. When I want to know and understand the world around me, that means I'm coming back to myself. Pairing my knowledge about various topics with my cat-whisker ability to read emotions enables me to listen well and provide thoughtful feedback to others, building valuable connections across a wide network of relationships. I'm pretty chuffed about that, I have to say. Okay, what's it all mean? So, first, to recap. Leading with head intelligence includes possessing a high capacity for analyzing and perceiving information, recognizing a hyper-reliance on dispassionate analysis and rational reasoning, Recognizing when it leads to analysis paralysis, and understanding that anxiety and stress can manifest as fear. So if you or someone else in your life has wanted to gain clarity on personal thinking skills or making better decisions, well, this takes some time and practice. Usually, if we're frustrated with our decisions, it's because the results of those decisions didn't match up with what we expected to happen. Sometimes those results are easily adjusted, such as returning a wrong size or requesting a redo. Other times, those results backfire a lot more. Perhaps a financial investment might awry, or a relationship fell apart. One tactic I've tried recently focuses on keeping a decision journal, making notes of your thoughts, data, expectation, and later results to gauge how well you understood your options at the time, and how the decision turned out. One thing that has especially helped me is to protect various scenarios for how this decision could go, ranging from the perfect idea to absolute shit. I find this so helpful to gain a clearer picture of the consequences that I'm willing to deal with, and kind of to pre-feel the less happy emotions around the outcomes I'd rather not happen. A decision journal provides a way to stay clear on actual options before us and it helps avoid revising history in our favor later, ensuring we don't repeat the same mistakes again. There's an article in a template from Shane Parrish at Farnham Street about the decision journal. And you can also check out my notion template that I've adapted for my own use. Let me know how it goes. Above all, here's what I hope you take away from today. A healthy head intelligence reminds us to gather and analyze information, trust our cognitive abilities and cultivate creativity in our decisions. If you enjoyed this episode of Creative Proofing, please like and share with others you might as well. You can subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you'd like to read, you can also subscribe to the Creative Proofing newsletter at creativeproofing.substack.com.